And welcome to the Fanboy Garage. I'm Chris Lasanti, joined by my co-host Aaron Varola. Yo, what's up, folks? Welcome to episode 79 of the Fanboy Garage podcast. As always, it's a pleasure to have you guys with us again this week. Um, yeah, so we've been busy. Uh, we've we've guessed we were guests on a, on another podcast, which will be launching soonish. I'm guessing. Uh, so shout out to Brandon Alvarado. Thank you guys, and thank you to him um, for inviting us on the chatter after. Um, it was a great conversation, uh, and you guys should keep an eye out for that one. Um, but in the meantime, we are going to do like we always do with a weekly box office analysis. So, uh, Chris, yeah, there were some movies that succeeded and some movies that didn't. There were, and you know, <laughs> one of these days though, we are we're going to release like um, the pre-show conversations, the very adult only pre-show conversations yeah that we have here i think that'd be a special uh, we'll do that like take, the, a, take the covers off and yeah start dropping f-bombs a christmas gift to our fans maybe one of these years yeah. but here's a gift yeah before we get into it we have a guest on the show oh that's right yes T- totally forgot he's like quiet <laughs> in the cut not laughing <laughs> I, I i didn't I didn't want to laugh because yeah. I, I wanted you guys to do your intros before I jumped in. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, so it's our boy Phil. He's like, you know, an honorary member of the Fanboy Garage here. So, uh, guys, welcome Phil onto the show again. What up, guys? What up, guys? It's a pleasure to be back on. And oh. uh, let's jump into talk box office. Yeah. yeah. So, number one this weekend was Bad Boys for Life. Uh, the <laughs> a movie Aaron was very excited about. Apparently... Um, this movie, which is the third movie um, in this franchise, which was a very dormant franchise, right? At this mm-hmm. point, uh, well, the last one was about ten years ago, wasn't it? At least, Longer right? That, yeah, uh, sixty-two and a half million bucks opening weekend. It is like over like a hundred and almost at a hundred twelve million worldwide on like a seventy-five million dollar budget. Massive success for this movie. Uh, that, you know, I didn't think it was going to do this kind of numbers, but after I heard like everybody talking about it during the week, I was like, oh, okay. So a lot of people are really excited for this movie. And, you know, it's one, it was the second best Martin Luther King weekend performance ever, uh, behind mm-hmm. American Sniper. And, um, it's the, obviously, you know, without adjusting for inflation, it's the highest grossing three day in the franchise. And the, you know, the movie got an A cinema score. It's got a 97% rotten tomatoes audience score. And the reviews were like pretty good. It got like a 75% on rotten tomatoes, which is like by far the best reviewed movie in this franchise, which is unusual, right? That the third movie and mm-hmm. especially one in like a dormant franchise like this would be the best reviewed film. Um, and would also have this kind of success. And, um, the one thing that the movie does not have, right, is uh, the same director, um, which I think could probably explain a little bit as to why the reviews are better on this one. So, what is it, Michael Bay movie, right? It, it, well, it's the, Michael Bay franchise. Yeah, the, yeah. That's he what didn't I mean. direct Michael this Bay one. Franchise. Oh yeah. my gosh! Wow. So you, you're telling me that if you remove Michael Bay from a franchise, it actually succeeds? 
Well, his what? stuff succeeds. It's just that uh, financially, it it's, yeah, the critics though are not fond of his work, and so this movie got both right. It it got the benefit of better reviews, and it made a ton of money so far. And it looks like it's going to hold up pretty well, right? Based on the cinema score, based on the audience score. Uh, based on the word of mouth, those are usually pretty good indicators. Uh, movies like this sometimes can be very front-loaded, especially when it's a franchise like this. But um, I don't know. I, I feel like this thing's going to have some legs to it. That's awesome. That's yeah. great. So, I, yeah. I so don't give a damn about this movie. I really, I don't know why I feel so hostile towards it. Yeah, you're unreasonably hostile, I feel. I really this. am. I just, you know what I think? You know, it's Will Smith. It is. I'm sick of him. I'm si- I'm frankly I'm sick and tired of him. My daughter has Aladdin on repeat. <laughs> okay. Oh, um, um, so, so now we get to PTSD. We get to the root of the issue. Yeah, that's what it is, man. It's getting personal. She, she, now. she comes home. I want to see Noodle. She says, "I want to see new Aladdin." That's what she says. New Aladdin. Ah. Like what? Oh, I want. I want Got to it. hear new Aladdin. She goes to sleep listening to the soundtrack. I'm being tortured by Will Smith. <laughs> so it's it's great it's great dude how Thank does she how does she I feel about thinking, martin lawrence though what was that how does she uh, feel I mean, about martin lawrence? martin lawrence yeah no like dude is I, can you believe how much weight that guy's gained <laughs> like I, I just can't i can't believe i can't buy this film i can't i'm not buying into it it's like didn't they make this movie years ago called Lethal Weapon, where like one guy's really old and out of shape, and the other guy's still trying to be cool? Come no, on, pretty, they, pretty pretty much. They made four of those though. Yeah, but those were actually good. Well, not fourth all one, of them. Fourth one was I like the fourth one a lot. Oh yeah. Uh, is that is that not a good one? Well, the, that the, was I thought that was good. That was that's with Jet Li. That's that the was Jet Li one. one. Yeah. All right. Triad one. Uh, uh, oh, the best the best scene of that is. They put the laser on him and he like brushes it off. He goes to like brush it off his little outfit. <laughs> Anyways, I digress. Yeah, you certainly That's great. do. Bad boys for life. Let's see how it holds up. Sure. Um, the prey rolls out in like a couple of weeks. I'll put the nail in that coffin. It's kind of interesting how like uh, Margot Robbie and uh, Will Smith did this little dance around the same time with their movies. Kind of odd. Yeah. Well, they just they make a lot of them, so yeah. I guess it's if you're making as many movies as they make, like some of them are gonna have to intersect, right? Apparently. Yeah. So number two was 1917, uh, 21.9 million dollars. Uh, that's the you know film that film that has all the Oscar nominations and all that. Uh, number three was another debut, Doolittle, 21.8 million. And now here's where it gets interesting for me. Um, so number four was Jumanji: The Next Level at nine point seven million. Whoa, that's and still chugging along. It sure is. No, but that's not even the story. Right. So uh, we're about to get to the story, and he knows oh, apparently what it is already. But so that was only a thirty point seven percent drop for Jumanji um, in its, I think, sixth week. Um, but here's the story: Star Wars: The Rise of Skywalker which has been out one less week than Jumanji, has now fallen behind Jumanji, the next level. It's fifth, it went from number two to number five, 8.3 million, basically. Another 45.4% drop. 
the rise of Skywalker is now, and we talked about this. Was it on the last episode about it? Maybe I mean, we, you know, saying yeah. that it was on the. Uh, they were saying that it might be projected to make like one point zero seven million. Yeah, well, like she said, we said shy, shy of one point one. Yeah, so, yeah. Right. So it's right now sitting at um, one point zero three million, which is. Uh, and again, Rogue One was the movie we mentioned. Rogue One was finished at one point zero five six million. So, um, and at, clearly, Rise of Skywalker is tailing off very quickly. Right. So it's going to get to five hundred million domestic, and it's going to obviously it's already over a billion dollars. But um, it's going to be very interesting to see where this thing falls. And the fact that it's already fallen behind Jumanji, which again has been out for. Uh, one less week is um, a one more week rather is startling actually to me. Mm. So, Mm-mm-mm-mm. but I, uh... yeah, Phil, I'd love to hear your take on this one. What you you think know, that? Yeah. I, I listened to you guys last week and I, I had some time to think about it. It's, it's very telling of the fret. If it's very telling and I know the, the, the minority that was very vocal, or I should say half of the Star Wars audience was very divisive on The Last Jedi. And what I get from people who are not sort of in our like our circle of, you know, we're on Twitter, we're very, we're very hip, we're very in, in the know of what's going on in, in the industry. Um, the casual fan, it's like, oh, well, you know, I saw Last Jedi and it, I didn't like it. But I saw Skywalker, and it was fun, but I wasn't a big fan. And I'm getting that sentiment from a lot of people. I mean, me personally, I was a fun. It was a fun ride. It 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 was a crowd pleaser. It it hit all the notes. Now, whether any of it made sense, no. Um, but it just it, it was it was supposed to be a feel good type of thing. But it it just fell short of that complete narrative. And I know we've talked about it. Um, Aaron, that there was just a lack of that overarching arc, and the only overarching arc was was Kylo Ren, his 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 arc, but everything else kind of like was thrown thrown in there, and let's see what sticks, and if it doesn't, it doesn't. We're still gonna make a billion dollars because that's I'm sure that's what Disney said. Mm. Yeah. yeah. Well, you know, it's funny, and and we're not, we won't have. We won't talk about it here because I'm I'm kind of rise of Skywalker out <laughs> at this point. But you know they that supposed that script leaked uh, oh, since oh, we've last Colin spoken. One? Yeah, the yeah. Colin Trevorrow yeah. script. And I got to be honest with you, it sounded pretty cool. <laughs> I don't really want to go in and dissect it and all this stuff, especially as someone who you know wasn't in love with Rise of Skywalker. But um, and because you know who knows what would have been changed and regardless, yeah. right? But there was some intriguing ideas in that i um the one line and i've I said it a couple of times on twitter but uh ben is extinguished what is something that just stuck out to me because mm-hmm. i mean i think for me that's that i mean not not to say that the the you know ben demption is it was poorly executed i thought it was fine um and if that was the way that we were going to get it, then I, you know, I thought, you know, obviously bringing Harrison Ford was going to be the way to do it. But, um, and I've said it before, you know, Kylo Ren was the villain of the story. Um, 
was but to me was meant to be the villain of the story. And so I never I and I said it from jump. Like I said it even in Force Awakens. I was like, this dude better not get redeemed. And and he did. And so I'm like, oh, but when I heard, you know, Ben is extinguished, that uh that kind of sealed the deal for me. I was like, that would have been awesome just to see yeah. him. And we do I mean we get it. We get it at the end of The Last Jedi, but of course, you know, here we are trying to judge a trilogy in the middle. Right. Uh, which doesn't work. So yeah. These there were are, some really uh, really cool things that were described in that script yeah. leak that uh I I certainly wish we would have gotten. There are, these are those times when I, I almost wish that like this stuff didn't exist. Like stuff like that bothers yeah. me more than like when like set photos and stuff leak for a movie that hasn't come out yet. Mm-hmm. Because like now it's like knowing what could have been is gonna bother me more than knowing what's going to be, <laughs> you know. Like I could watch, I could look at set leaks and set stuff like that forever, knowing that well, I'm eventually going to get the movie, and the movie, you know, will hopefully be cooler than this. But like something like this, knowing we're never gonna get that movie, just will bother me more. And I, I kind of wish that like I probably never saw it and wish that we were back in those times when like we never would have heard about something like this unless somebody made some documentary about it like 30 years from now i mean what is i mean you guys talk to a lot of got a lot of guys who are in who are in the know what's what sort of sentiment that people are feeling towards this leak script or outline that that colin tavaro had like are the people were people are people excited and just like why did he? Why would? Why was he throwing off the project? If he's getting such a, a positive response. Uh, I'm. I'm not actually sure the the answer to that question. Like why he was he was thrown off. I mean, I think. Um, if if what he had done is true, it would have continued to have pushed. I think a narrative that. Uh, in the eyes of Lucasfilm was was extremely divisive to to fans, and um, I think they were like, eh, you know, we have to kind of pick our poison here. Do we want to continue to push this franchise in a new direction, or do we want to kind of go back to, you know, the tried and true approach, the two, you know, the two billion dollar approach, uh, which is that of J.J. Abrams, and he, you know, calls back on a lot of the nostalgia and. You know, I think it was a safe bet. Mm-hmm. I think Ryan, I think I think a lot of their decisions, actually, Lucasfilm, um, in the lead up to these films, um, they were they were in I think initially in the mind of taking some serious risks with some up and coming filmmakers, right? Josh Trank was one of those. Colin Trevorrow was another one. Ryan Johnson is one. You know, they had they had a series of Lord and Miller is another great example. Um, you know, they had uh, these guys who were kind of up and comers who were making their way through Hollywood with these very different type of movies that were highly successful and trying to fit them into the world of Star Wars. Unfortunately, um, that obviously didn't work. And um, that kind of filmmaking can be hit or miss. I mean, um, what's his name? Um, Gareth Edwards, who directed yep. Rogue One. Mm-hmm. He made a highly divisive Godzilla film, right? It's not yep. not the best thing, not the worst thing, but meh. and then they shoehorn him into Star Wars, and he kind of creates something that didn't work for the for the studio, so they pull somebody else in to kind of uh, to kind yeah. of you know fix Clear that. Third act, yep. Lord and Miller, 
another great example. They were going straight, you know, ad lib improv type solo movie. That didn't work for them. So they pull in a tried and true director, Ron Howard. Um, you know, Ryan Johnson's the only one that I think you know, he is. I mean, the only one that made it from start to finish aside from JJ Abrams. Right. And um look at what his film did to the to the to the fandom but not that i think that he was solely responsible because i think the fandom is fickle one way or the other regardless i mean we lived through the prequel era so um i think they were kind of you know going they were trying to inspire and push up the you know the the spirit of who george lucas was you know a rogue filmmaker he you know rubbed elbows with um you know, Francis Ford Coppola and they, he was, you know, they, these guys were renegades in their time. You know yep. what I'm saying? So I think they were trying to back those kinds of um, filmmakers and unfortunately blow up in their face. And so they decided to go with folks that, you know, are play, play the game a bit more closer to the way that they want to, or the way that they're more comfortable with. Sorry, that's a long. No, no, I, 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 I'm, I was very curious because I felt like that's what that initially that was the, that was the idea to push the boundaries of Star Wars. And then when I guess with Kathleen Kennedy and whoever else is in charge just says it's not working, it's not working in the vein of what Star Wars that we, that they probably had the vision of Star Wars. And there was like, maybe we need to step back and just let's go with the, like you said, tried and true formula. Let's just do that. Yeah. So, so. hopefully we get Knights of the Old Republic with the new, new trilogy in 2022. <laughs> we'll see. I mean, but then now the funny thing is, is they are still, I think they're still very much interested in these new filmmakers because, you know, we're hearing, um, you know, John Favreau. Yep. Um, but again, this is a company man. So that's not going to change. Taika Waititi is a sort of company man given, um, you know, the work he's already done with, Thor Ragnarok, highly successful yeah. film. He's contributed to The Mandalorian. So I think we're going to see folks who are already in the Lucasfilm, Disney, you know, sort of family um, mm -hmm. producing the next, you know, era of films yeah. because they are flexible enough to understand what the mouse house needs, but also um, are able to kind of express themselves in a very confined way. And that you still sense. have the uh, you still have the whatever the Kevin Feige thing is going to be too, right? Yeah, and that that to me feels like a produced, you know. Right. Well, that's what he is. Yeah. Yeah, it's just going to be he's going to pull in his director and yeah. and whatever. It's amazing. This seems like the Mandalorian, and rightfully so, is driving a lot of the future, right? Because obviously Favreau comes direct because of everything from that he did with the Mandalorian and Taika Waititi happens to direct the finale of the Mandalorian. And now all of a sudden he's in talks. To, so it's like, wow, right. this, they're, they're learning a good lesson from the success of the Mandalorian, which is nice. Um, but yeah, the Mandalorian seems to be driving a lot of, a lot of their decisions right now. I mean, and, and it makes total sense sure because the, the look and feel, the aesthetic, all of that is yep. so star Wars and it didn't yep. stray from you know it didn't it didn't stray from a narrative that they were that pushed the franchise in unfamiliar yeah. territory it just it it paid homage to you know the things that i think fans really love and appreciate with about star wars while kind of giving us you know a new lease on life through through yeah. characters 
You know what I'm saying? So, um, although I'm, it did I'm bring, I want to see how this goes. It did bring something yeah. new though. So it it was familiar, but it was also different in a, in its own way too, right? Like just the use of the music and you know the whole kind of like Western vibe. Like so, it was very much Star Wars, but giving you a little bit of a new twist and a new feel, which I think is exactly what they should be doing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, all right, but let's <laughs> talk a little bit about the future of the box office. So movies that are coming out this year, variety actually had a really good, um, article up looking at, uh, they did it from a perspective of like what they think are going to be sure things and, uh, you know, good bets and, you know, movies that they don't think are going to hit or whatever, but let, let's take a look at some of the movies that are coming out this year. Right. And what we mm-hmm. think is going to happen. So you got no time to die, which is the, yeah, you know, I mean, that's, that's a must, right? I, I mean, I am interested because, you know, in the article, they do talk a little bit about franchise fatigue, right? Yes. Um, and, you know, the, the Bond franchise, without a doubt, specifically the Daniel Craig version, has kind of seen its ups, its ebbs and flows. Yes. So do we, you know, do you guys think No Time to Die is, is the, okay, because they're going to, you know, they're already going to start marketing and like this is the, and everyone knows this, but this is the finale for Daniel Craig as, as James Bond. Um, so it's going to go out with a high note. Maybe they kill him off. Probably not. Um, well, but do you think, do you think it's going to go out on a high note? Like it's going to be. I mean, they set up, they set up some intriguing stuff where in the trailer alone, they show, that his love interest in Spectre is now the new 007 because um, he's sort of retired. And, you know, you got Rami Malik, which is coming off his, his win from um, Bohemian Rhapsody. Undeserved. <laughs> I'm, I'm not going to pass judgment on that. <laughs> I'm not really going to touch this. He's playing Two-Face, man, with a, with a freaking, yeah. you know. I, and, and, and if the rumors are... If the rumors are the rumors are out there that he might be playing uh, an updated version of Blonfeld, I don't know. Well, Blonfeld already exists. No, I'm, okay, that was um. It's, uh, Christoph yeah. Waltz. Okay, so maybe Doctor No. I don't know. I heard a rumor that he was probably playing a legacy character from a legacy character in this one. It's an updated version. Uh, it looks intriguing. I think I think because they're touting it as Daniel Craig's last outing is Bond, it might do better business than Spectre. Now, if it's a complete if it's if it's a complete waste of time and it's a complete stinker, I mean, it's just gonna they're just gonna have to reinvigorate yeah, the franchise. Gonna, gonna like like they did boss. like they did with Casino Royale. When they brought in Daniel Craig, there was a lot of people up in arms like, oh, he's blonde. Bond is not supposed to be blonde. He's not that very good looking. He's a little bit too rough around the edges. But Casino Royale was one of the best Bonds ever. I mean, they followed up with Quantum of Solace, which was... That was a turd. That yeah, was not great. that was terrible. And then, but then basically come, Casino Royale 1.5. Yeah, and then but then you throw in Skyfall, which was phenomenal. Um, and then you've come follow up with Spectre. So it's like you said, ebbs and flows, highs, lows, highs, lows. So this, uh, if it goes the way it's supposed to go, this is supposed to be a high and hopefully it goes out of line. <laughs> yeah. I, I, for me, I think it comes down to what, which movie was the outlier Spectre or Skyfall as far as box office, because 
you know, Skyfall does 1.1 billion and Spectre does 880 million. Uh, you know, neither number anything to sneeze at, but you know, which one is the more realistic number? Right? Is is 1.1 billion realistic or was the 880 the more like was Skyfall the outlier or Spectre? That's what right. it comes down to for me. I don't know the answer to that. I mean, Skyfall a, was like the perfect storm. It was a great movie. It got insane reviews. It, you know, it was you know it's obviously I mean, a famous franchise. It made so, a ton of money overseas. Yeah, I mean, here's the thing. So I think I think there, there's a couple of things. Um, so word of mouth off of Skyfall. Yeah, bananas. Of course. Yeah, bananas. That was probably I didn't I do think I saw Skyfall more than once and that's like one of the only James Bond films that I went to go see more than once and I'm a big Bond fan but Skyfall just hit all the right notes you know what I'm saying like it was it was a superior Bond film in my opinion now I've I've spoke to some other people who think that it was like like that's a, an exaggeration like Skyfall is an okay movie um but to me, like, yeah, it doesn't get it doesn't get better than Skyfall. Like, I love Casino Royale, but in terms yeah. of a villain, um, you know, uh, Javier Bardem is is terrifying, um, and you know, there there it, it feels like there's some real stakes. I mean, that's the one. Yeah, that's the one where he's on the train and he gets shot in the chest, right? Um, so. There's some, I mean, there's some really, really good stuff in Skyfall. Yep. And Spectre is, I think, I think Spectre, you know, suffers from um, the Star Trek fate, you know, where they kind of do this twisty thing with a villain that everyone's familiar with. And you're like, oh, you know, I saw that coming a mile away and it just wasn't done very well. So it's like, you know what I mean? Yep. But anyways, yep. okay. That we've got other films to talk about. Yeah. <laughs> so Black Widow, uh, May first. It's the uh, the next Marvel film, right, coming out. And um, you know, I don't know. You know, this movie it's weird because though it's Marvel, so it'll do well, right? I just I don't know what well means for this in the sense of like, you know. Th- I look at Captain Marvel, and that was a movie that I didn't think was marketed well at all right that marketing to me was underwhelming i was not hyped up to go see that at all and i i didn't dislike the film but the movie made over a billion dollars so i don't know if black widow is going to play more like that or is it going to play more like um you know i don't even want to say ant-man but is it going to play more like you know um the movies that wind up like between like 700 and 800 million, or is it going to be, you know, is this going to be a billion dollar movie because it's the, the first Marvel movie that we're getting in a while? I don't know. I'm uh, here's my thought. How emotionally invested is the audience going to be knowing if someone is a Marvel fan, they've already seen the uh, end game and they know black widow's fate. So, how invested can they be in this movie? Are they going to come out in droves to see it? It was like, oh, well, she died in the last one, so why am I going to bother wasting my money to see what, what this story is? This is the, the Aaron... reason why people are going to go see Obi-Wan. Kenobi. This is the Aaron Verola theory. Yeah, that it uh, is. And and believe me, and I, I, I'm, that, is a big, that is a big thing for me. 
Like, what else are you going to tell me that I don't already know about the character? Which, right, okay, they, they probably have got some tricks uh, up their sleeve, which is why they decided to do this. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I, I think, I think, gosh, th- so if I were a betting man, I would say that Black Widow does better than Captain Marvel, which is hard to say because of how successful Captain Marvel was, but she came from nowhere. Like she was a character that no one really knew about and was familiar with. And people love black widow, love black widow. So, and then you got David Harbor and it just, it looks like a fun so film, even though I don't, you're, you're uh, thinking 1.2 billion ish then. Yeah. Better than rise of Skywalker. (laughs) I, I'm not going to lie. I would be shocked if, Black Widow was in that stratosphere, but I, you never know these days. I would have been shocked if you told me Captain Marvel was going to do over a billion. Dude, so. we, we talked about it when it dropped. There was no way you could have told me when we recorded that episode that Captain Marvel was going to make yeah. a billion dollars. No way. Yeah. No way. Yeah. Nope. No way. Yeah. And, and yet here we no. are. Yeah. Uh, now, I don't know how much of that, though, was... So here's the interesting thing. It's funny because I was just talking to somebody today that is um, doing like a... So they got Disney Plus and they've been doing like a Marvel, like an MCU rewatch because they yeah. there were movies that they've missed, right, throughout. They've seen some, not others, so they were just going to get... And unfortunately, they were upset because they, they forgot that the Spider-Man movies are Sony, so they're not on Disney Plus. Um, so that threw a little monkey wrench in their plan. But anyway, they were talking about, so they're up to the point where Captain Marvel's the next film. And they were like, do I need to see Captain Marvel before I see Endgame? Right. And, and my, I bet your answer was like, that's a fat no. Right. My answer was, <laughs> no, you don't. Um, if you know if it's not a movie you're really interested in, you you're not really going to be missing much. And I I didn't want to get too much into why she didn't need to see it, because I didn't want to say well because Captain Marvel really has an underwhelming role in Endgame. Um, but uh, but yeah, I think that there were a lot of people that went to see Captain Marvel because they thought they were going to have to see it in order to go see Endgame. Right. Because right. I think they thought there would be more of a tie in there, and that the character was going to play a much bigger role. I. I'm one of those well, people, by the way, that that thought the character would play a much bigger role in Endgame. Well, we'll think we'll think about how Infinity Gauntlet ended with with her symbol showing up. So it, it kind of segues into your theories. Okay, yeah, I, I got to know who this character is because she's supposed to play an important role. And sure. then, like, like you said, totally underwhelming. I think she had probably ten minutes of screen time. Yeah, she has a great moment, and it's an important oh, sh- moment. But still, sure, yeah, it's. Uh, and she had a nice comedic moment with Thor, but yeah, like you said, totally. You didn't. You didn't have to go see. You're right. No, and I think I went to go see Captain Marvel too, with the thought that I I needed to get this piece yeah. to understand her point, her understand her part in Endgame, and totally underwhelming. Yeah, I, it it just did. It wasn't needed. It, no. You know what it it kind of it kind of plays itself off like a like a um, Captain America movie, where it's like it, it. I mean, it literally is almost a, like the same as Captain America in the sense that your 
character is trying to find themselves, you know, figure themselves out with the Tesseract being the MacGuffin in the film. <laughs> right. I mean, that's kind of like Captain America. So in broad strokes, of course. Sure. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it, it came it came before all of the events, you know, uh, that we were living in, with which was, the, you know, in the Infinity War and, and all of that stuff. So, um whatever yeah fine you know they 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 pull a bait and switch on on a lot of folks i think yeah so i guess the point of all that is um you know i think taking my theory of why i think captain marvel made as much money as it did and phil's theory as to why he you know worries a little bit about black widow because of you know how much of a necessity it is to see the movie i think um we're going to find out where it falls right it's going to fall on you know, in between there, maybe, right? And one of those sides, people, there are going to be people who uh, feel like they have to see it because it's a Marvel film. And then there are going to be people who are like, you know what? This one is the definition of skippable. And then maybe it winds up falling in like that Ant Man territory. You know, like Ant Man and the Wasp, which was a fun movie that was skippable. But. But then if that's the case, then one would assume then that Black Widow would be the movie that sets up the rest of the phase four. Isn't, isn't, isn't Black Widow the first movie of phase four yes but what i'm saying is that the storyline of black widow has uh, to set the table for okay. the rest of the right movie. although they're not really marketing it well it's still early i guess but they're not it's, marketing it's, that it's yet. very early does yeah. it come out for another it comes out does in it may. Come out for, for beginning of may yeah. so the hype machine hasn't yeah. really gone in full gear sure yet. it's also going to benefit from that release date right may 1st mm. because it's it's early and there's not going to be a ton out at that point, so I think that helps too. But yeah, I, I, I pretty much Marvel's got May unlocked. Yeah, well, it, until May 22nd, which is when Fast and Furious Nine comes out. Oh, so oh boy! And the first, no this, but there's no rock in this. There, exactly. I was about to say this is the first time since Fast Five, since they they jump started this franchise, that. The Dwayne The Rock Johnson will not be in one of these movies, and I guess we're about to see a test of how this franchise is now in this new age of it without The Rock. Because you know Hobbs and Shaw did very well, uh, considering it was like a side story, right? Not part of like the a proper Fast and Furious movie. Uh, let's see how this one does now, especially overseas, right? Uh, without The Rock, right. it'll be very interesting. It's become a juggernaut franchise, yeah. but it's got to it, slow down uh, at some point, right? And, and this it, is going to be a test for Vin Diesel with him carrying the franchise again, just him. And also because he's got a comic book movie coming out later later on this year as well. So he's he's trying to become... Oh, a, that's right. He's got that. He's got, blood, he's got Bloodshot. And, right. um, and he's, he's been, been dying to make that for years. So... This is going to be interesting to see how the box office does with him, like you said, as an international star, because he's got another big franchise that, well, he's got another movie come out that hopefully will kick off another franchise for him. Yeah. Uh, we'll see. Yeah. And speaking of, uh, of course, franchises, we got Wonder Woman 1984, my most anticipated film of this year. That comes out June 4th. Um, I, you know, I'll just say it right now. I, I think from just. The marketing, the people still buzzing about the first movie. 
um, which is only growing now as time's gone on. I, I, mm-hmm. this movie, I would be completely shocked and probably a little disappointed if this movie does not outperform Aquaman. Um, and I, I'm thinking, wow, this, really? Well, okay. yeah, because I, I just. I still don't understand how Aquaman made the kind of money that it made. And I'm not talking about because of the quality of the film, but like it to me, that was unusual that it made that much money. Uh, but I, I can't imagine that Wonder Woman's not going to grow. I, I would think it's going to do at least a billion dollars. Um, and I would, I would, I guess I should say a better way to put it is I, I hope and would be very happy if this movie makes more money than Aquaman, not having anything to do with Aquaman, but just having everything to do with the fact that I would love Wonder Woman to become like the A-list character here for this franchise. And I think that, um, I think that the momentum is, is in her corner right now. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think it's set up to do, to do pretty big. So yeah. I guess we'll see. Fingers yeah. crossed. I mean, the first movie did over eight hundred million. It was a surprise, so uh, you would think it would grow, right, from there. Oh, it has to. I mean, it has to. But... And it was the first one out of the the DC EU that critics love and the audience love. So it's got that goodwill going, yeah. you know, going with it. And yeah. everyone's on that '80s kick these days. So... It's a big thing. Yep. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean. So, so we'll see. where do we stand on Top Gun Maverick? Dude, I mean, I, I, I'm into it. I don't know if this is a film I'm going to go run and see. Like, And even of the ones that, you know, we've been talking about ad nauseum, like, I'm going to have to, I have to pick my, I have to pick the movies that I'm going to spend some money on because I don't have time like I used to. Um, yeah. <laughs> but, but, you know, um, Maverick looks like, like a dope film. Um I really dig the trailers. I dug the last one a lot. Tom Cruise is certainly riding high. So I think it's going to do well. Okay. I, I'm. It's. This is a pass for me. I, I'm not even – I don't even like Top Gun, period. <laughs> and that's probably blasphemous for me to say. I don't care about – I don't care about Top Gun. Don't care about this one at all. It's a hard pass for me. I, if it comes up on TNT in the, in, oh, in two years, I'll watch it. Dude, you grew up in the '80s, man. You weren't like into you know jet planes and Lamborghinis and like. Yeah, but, I watch, but, but I like I watch Iron Big Eagle hair. and um you know other movies. I, I there was something about you know what when I was when I was a kid I enjoyed Top Gun and as I watched it later on. I don't want to get into it, but there's elements of that movie. It's like eh, this is a. L- I feel a little uncomfortable watching this movie. Oh, okay. Huh. Hmm. Okay. Now I will say, though, to be fair, as a child of the '80s, um, Top Gun was also never. I don't hate the movie. I don't dislike the movie. It just was never one of those movies that I loved and wanted to watch over and over again. But Iron and, Eagle. Yeah, now that too. that is the '80s. <laughs> Iron Eagle is very much the eighties. Oh, without doubt. Yeah. Uh, all right. Let's skip through here some of these. So, so a couple of uh, sequels, right? Uh, we got Venom two. Uh, coming on the heels of the just yeah. a movie that I still can't figure out how it made as much money as it did. <laughs> um, you know, I don't know. Do we? Do we? 
expect this movie to match or exceed the eight hundred fifty six million worldwide? It's, it's gonna, going to. It's going to, and it's going it's to Spider Man. It's going to because now, now we're. I mean, Morbius. The trailer for Morbius just dropped, and I, I gotta say, I'm. The trailer didn't intrigue me at all. I know the character well, uh, but I think everybody is is hyped because of that last five seconds of that trailer mm. that sort of ties in Spider-Man into this universe. Yeah, and if and if Venom Two is gonna and is Venom Two, I'm sure we're gonna get a coda at the end of that trailer that's gonna tie. That's gonna tie it in into into the Spider-Man universe. So now you've got all these Spider-Man villains that are showing up in the Sony movie, and they're tying into Spider-Man. So I think it's it's gonna do it's gonna do a lot. Um, Venom is a huge character, and the introduction of Carnage is just gonna blow it out of the water. I think if it's done right, especially Woody Harrelson as oh, yes Carnage, yeah, kind of takes things to a different to level. How it comes? Yeah. Uh, and, uh, so, so we're we're thinking uh, it's going to at least meet, if not exceed, the age. Of course, I mean, yeah. I, I think I think to Phil's point, uh, we're going to get a trailer where, you know, you're going to get all the action pieces and all that stuff, and at the end, it's going to be like, you know, Eddie Brock walking down the streets like, "Hey, are, aren't you Peter Parker?" And it's going to be like, "Oh, hi, who are you?" You know what I'm saying? Like. And That's it's, how it's going, gonna roll. and people are gonna lose their minds yeah. and dollars. It's gonna be, and it comes out <laughs> October second, so it's like basically in line with when the first movie came out. And it's it's really not. It's it's gonna be sandwiched in between the King's Man, which is coming out in September, and the Eternals, which comes out in November. So it's gonna have a little bit of a window there, right, to have a little run, which is nice. Yep. Uh, the other, so you already mentioned Morbius, so let's jump to Morbius. That actually comes out July thirty first, so it has a nice kind of big time release date, which is you know a little surprising. Yeah, that's, that's odd. Yeah, um, I, I mean we talked a little bit about it last week when we were talking about the trailer. Uh, I know Phil, you just mentioned that you weren't particularly excited about the trailer and whatnot, but no. um, I mean, what do we think? Do we have any thoughts on this movie? I, to me, the performance of Venom kind of throws everything off for me because I don't really know what to do now with Morbius because I never would have thought Venom would do 856, especially after the reviews came out. Uh, so I don't know what to do with this movie. I, uh, I, I can't get a good gauge. That's why the trailer didn't hit for me. I'm watching it and and I'm like, okay, is this going to be... Um, a, you know, Jared Leto trying to cure himself, and then we don't get him into full Morbius mode until the final, until the final act of the of the movie, and it seems like that's where that it's going, and I don't know if it's if it's gonna turn some fans, it's, if it's gonna turn some fans off or it's gonna turn off the word of mouth once once weekend once first week goes by. Okay, mm. I think I think um. I need to test this movie with uh, with the lady of the house because she would be well, – I don't know if she's mainstream, but if she's like, ooh, that looks like caca, then that's a pretty, that's a pretty good indicator that, uh, you know, normal people who know nothing about, uh, about Morbius are going to be like, ooh, that's not really for me. But again, I mean that Marvel logo – 
in association with or not, I mean that that thing sets the stage for folks to get excited about a comic book film. So who knows um, how we'll do it? But I, 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 and I think that's probably why, actually, per last week's conversation, why we got an extra long trailer is because he's a nobody. Nobody really knows who Morbius is. He's such an obscure Spider-Man mm-hmm. um, character. Yeah that they need to do something to kind of um, intrigue the mainstream audiences. Mm -hmm. The next one will be the love interest. Right. And the next trailer. Now, of course we got the movie that's coming out very soon, actually. Right. Birds of prey. Yeah. Uh, A couple of weeks, actually, from the time you hear this, Uh, this movie, I've already gone on record as saying, I think this movie is going to make all the money. Um, I've I've started to hear people now who don't normally talk about stuff like this talking about it. Uh, most people seem to think that the trailers look great. I do as well. I think it's being marketed perfectly. I think it's coming out at the right time. I, I think this movie is going to do fantastic. I, and I don't know what that means numerically, um, but would it shock me if this thing does? And it, the budget is not super high on it either. So no. would it shock me if this thing does between eight hundred million and, and maybe even more? No, not at all. Um, mm. I think it's going to do fantastic, and hopefully I'm not wrong, but uh, I just think everything's lining up for this to become like a huge kind of crossover mainstream success. Plus, I mean, Suicide Squad, for all the criticism, did pretty well, shockingly well, right, at the box office. So I yeah. I think this thing's going to do in that same range, that $800 million or more range, if not more. Yeah. Yeah, I I agree. I mean, I think this is the one that that people are very, very excited about. Um, You know, I think the other thing, too, is it uh, it's coming out in February. This is right or around the time of, you know, Valentine's Day. And this whole idea of like breaking up with your boyfriend thing, I think, is going to hit really well. This sounds kind of odd coming from me, but I do think that there is a uh, like a subconscious message that's being pushed out at or around that time to be like yeah ladies um you don't have a man or you like got domed or you're like on this anti-man kick like go see harley quinn yeah yeah i think it's gonna do very very well Um, i mean i think i actually think that going back to captain marvel i think there was a sublip there was a message in there about the higher faster whatever the marketing terminology was and I think it spoke to a very specific audience, and I think that's the audience that really embraced Captain Marvel. Yes. And by that audience, I mean the ones that don't have penises. <laughs> Thanks for being oh, specific on that. <laughs> I'm just tanking our whole show right now. Yeah. <laughs> uh, you gotta, you gotta get some, you gotta get some Twitter, Twitter uh, hate hashtags. No. <laughs> uh, um, yeah. Go ahead. I mean, this 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 movie looks it looks it looks it looks fun. Um, they're introducing a lot of obscure uh, DC characters other than Harley Quinn. And, you know, and they're introducing uh, one of the more, I guess, the one of the more modern, iconic uh, Batman villains, Black Mask. And hopefully Ian McGregor hands it up a lot and plays a great villain. So I'm looking forward to it. Yeah. All right, let's go finish up with a couple extras here. So, Ghostbusters Afterlife, July 10th. Yo, if this movie doesn't make money, then there is no God. <laughs> like, I don't know. That movie just hit hit it for me. 
So I'm championing the hell out of Ghostbusters Afterlife. I okay. hope it does really, really well. And if it doesn't, I'm going to be so mad and disappointed. Tell Paul Rudd to kick some rocks. <laughs> okay. And then the, I, I'm pretty sure none of us have very high hopes for the new mutants. The question is, yeah. does it do uh, at least what the Dark Phoenix did? Which will be interesting to see. Uh, it may not. Look- but, well, this had a, sm- a far smaller budget, right? This yes. Is- but, okay. Well, I mean, we assume. We don't know how much they had to spend in extra things because it's been on the shelf for a while and whatnot. But yeah, correct, I would imagine correct. it's a far smaller budget. Yeah. Dude, um, but the, uh, the other thing, too, is I don't, you know, well, it was reshot. So there's that. Yeah. Right. Well, so we don't know what that would it cost for that. But well, if, if I was re- this- what I was reading is that even the whatever they reshot is not it would. That's not going to be part of the release. They're going with the original vision of the, of the movie. Um, oh, oh God! From my <laughs> understanding, from what I read, they're going oh. whatever whatever was originally shot or any reshots for that for that version of the movie is what's going to come out, not not the revisioning that they were planning out before before the merger happening. Great! Oh boy! Sweet! Amazing! Yeah. Uh Anyway, I wasn't going to see it anyway, so it doesn't really matter. Uh, The final film is uh, one that's intriguing because I'm not sure, uh, based on the last movie that came out, uh, if anyone is going to be super hyped for something that I think normally they would have been hyped for, and that is Godzilla vs. Kong. Uh you know, this is a movie you would think would be kind of a no-brainer, especially after this. You know, the success of the Gareth Edwards Godzilla that I almost walked out on, um, <laughs> and but I mean, and then you had the surprising uh, performance—not so much box office was because it didn't light up the box office, but the surprisingly well-received Kong Skull Island. But then Godzilla King of the Monsters comes out, and while I didn't hate that movie, uh, and it has a lot of fun elements to it, it really underperformed. At the box office. So I don't know if, you know, this movie has, if people are going to treat this as a, like a standalone and say, hey, Godzilla is come, that's an event film. Let's go see it. We don't care that we haven't seen the last couple of movies. Or are people just kind of done with this now? Mm-hmm. I, I I mean, I know next to nothing because, uh, well, I haven't seen any of those Godzilla films. I do really appreciate and like the Kong Skull Island film. Um, so here's to hoping that they do a lot more of that good stuff. But I, I, I don't know anything about the Godzilla stuff. I haven't seen it. You haven't seen any of them? No, no. I'm, I haven't seen the Gareth Edwards one. And I, I just saw that... Uh, that um, whatchamacallit, King of the Monsters yeah. uh, made it to HBO. Right. So I'll have to check check that out. Well, I yeah. might have to check that out. I I've seen I've seen the first Godzilla that was that came out and I saw uh Skullline, but for some reason I just didn't get out to see King of Monsters. And after, I think I think what turned me off was the word of mouth and uh what I saw with the with, with the results it just turned me off to it. and I was like, oh, I'll wait for it. I'll wait for it on cable. Yeah. Well that's how I saw it. On, not on cable, but on TV. Um, uh, mm-hmm. I got it, the digital copy. Um, yeah, I mean, I said it before. I, I think it's a really fun hour and 45-minute Godzilla film that's unfortunately two hours and 15 minutes long. Um, I just think that, uh, yeah, there's but there's some really fun, cool, like, monster action in it. So I think just on that level, I think you should watch it. 
it, I think you'll have fun with that. With very low expectations, I think you'll have a lot of fun with this movie. Okay. Yeah. All right. So cool. let's get off that for a second and quickly jump into some of another one of our favorite subjects, which which is the future of television, right? And uh, yes. Now NBC's streaming service Peacock is the talk right now. Yes. As yeah. Far as streaming services so... go. They just had a press conference not too long ago. They announced pricing, availability, all of that stuff. Talked a little bit about some of the shows that the, will be uh, created just for the service. So it's looking at like four ninety nine with a ad, that's an ad version, and then I think a nine ninety nine, which is ad free. Um, the I, th- I think they're going to roll it out early for I think some early subscribers in mm-hmm. like April. April 15th or so, and then with the massive rollout in July. Uh, You know, I got to be honest. So, like, obviously, universal access to lots of really great stuff to see on streaming, that being, like, uh, the Fast and Furious franchise, uh, you know, Back to the Future. There's so many things uh, that Universal has access to. Uh, This Comcast. Comcast will be getting it uh, April 15th. I'm sorry. But I'm not excited about this. I don't know why. Um, I don't know. I, I just I like right. some. I, I think some of the the early con the the produced for the service content isn't really intriguing to me. Uh, but yeah, I, yeah. I mean, I I mean, nothing jumps out. I mean, they're talking about how you can watch Jimmy Fallon and uh, Seth Meyers three hours before. It's aired. You Who cares? Watch live stream. Who cares? Uh, yeah, I'm, that that's not going to grab me. Um, shows are going to grab me. Um, exclusive content is going to grab me. And nothing is jumping out at the moment. Um, I do like, I do like the, the well, in my industry, the SVOD, the subscription, and the AVOD, the advertising video on demand, so kind of tiers that they're that they're touting. Um, but I also see that they're sort of goading the system a little bit by. When the release comes out, if you are a um, a Comcast subscriber, um, you already get you you get it for you get it automatically. Ah. Yeah. Oh. So just to, here's the way the prices break down. There's three tiers. There's a free option yeah. uh, mm-hmm. that comes with limited programming. There's an ad supported complete version that's free to existing Comcast customers, and it's four ninety nine a month for everyone else. And then at nine ninety nine a month ad free subscription option that's open to anyone. So that's similar to CBS all access, which is uh six ninety nine for the um, version with ads and then nine ninety nine for the version without ads. And the ads are only though on, on CBS all access, the ads, there are no ads on the, like the, the library, the, like the legacy content. So if you want to watch like an episode of family ties or taxi, there's no ads on that. You're going to get ads on Star Trek Discovery and like Star Trek Picard and like things like that. And also the um, on-demand viewing of like the current programming. Um, So I don't know how Peacock's going to work with that. But that's the three pricing tiers. And it's going to have 7,500 hours of programming at the start. Uh, Next day access to current seasons of first year NBC shows, Universal movies, and also curated content such as SNL, Vault, and Family Movie Night. The two premium tiers... Um, will include live sports and early access to late night shows. Um, and part of that live sports will be non-televised Premier League soccer games, which will begin in August. So 
Comcast and Cox customers will get free access to Peacock Premium with ads, or they can pay just $5 a month for the ad-free version. And, mm -hmm. uh, yeah, so, I mean, there's not, not much. I mean, we do know that The Office, right, is going to be a part of this because they paid, they, they yanked, they're going to yank it off of uh, Netflix. It's one mm -hmm. of the most popular stream but, shows on but, Netflix, so. But The Office is not going to be on there on for another two years. Oh, is that how long it's going to take? Yeah, yeah. Netflix has got because it just Office just went up on Netflix not too long ago. So I think they got they have they have the the contract for another two two and a half years or so. Yeah, well, it's so, uh... I mean, it's, so it's going to be interesting. It's going to be interesting. I mean, like I said, they're sort of goading the system. If you're a Comcast subscriber. Um, a cable subscriber, you, you get the Peacock Network, you'll get it. Um, but what's going to happen for what's going to happen? I, what what I'm curious is how many people are actually going to sign up for the service who are not a Comcast subscriber? I mean, yeah, it's going to be interesting. Yeah, so the Office debuts in 2021 on Peacock. Um, okay. But uh, yeah, I mean, they're going to have the new Battlestar Galactica, you know, and yet another reboot of that. Um, I mean, I don't know if that's going to draw people, um, you know, they're going to have that saved by the bell reboot that Aaron has been begging for. Forever. Oh man, I can't wait. Yeah. So I, you know, I look I'm so excited. I mean, this is one of those things where it's like, you know, we know that this is the future. We know that this is how it's going to go. Right. Content owners providing their content direct through streaming services. Not all of them are going to appeal to everybody and that's fine. That's the whole point. Right. Um, you know, there are some people that may want all of them, but then there are some people that can pick and choose. And you know what? Maybe this year, Disney Plus and HBO Max are the things that grab everybody. Maybe two years from now, those services will slip and then or you'll get tired of all their content and you'll maybe Peacock will be rocking content and you'll just want to jump to that. I mean, that's that's where we're at. And that's not a bad place to be to have options and to be able to have control over what you pay for and to pay for only the things you want to watch and to not be paying anymore for things that you don't ever watch and probably don't even know you have. So I don't see any of this as a bad thing, even though I'm not jumping for joy over Peacock. It's great that it exists and that it it's another option. So. So, I, so I have a thought. Do you think? Do you think this in the first year? It's. I think the first year might actually surprise us because the there because we have they have the the Summer Olympics. Yes, and that usually draws some big numbers yep. for them. So I'm wondering if they're just if they're gonna do a massive push sure. for the 2020 Olympics. Absolutely, and that would make sense. Why wouldn't you utilize that infrastructure? As a way mm -hmm. to generate, yeah, I mean, it. Look, it's all of these things are are leverage moves, right? The whole Disney Plus deal with Verizon, their, you know, NBC, uh, you know, Universal, Comcast using their, you know, ability to give their customers free access to this, utilizing things like the Summer Olympics. I mean, that's all to just drive up subscriber numbers because you know it's been proven that about seventy five percent of people that get free trials to things or that try things out for a month. Don't cancel their prescript their subscriptions. Yeah, so, I mean, I'm still paying for YouTube. Yeah, <laughs> so the the you know it, it, that's fine. They just want to drive up their numbers to get to a point where you know with their churn that that it winds up leveling off at a nice healthy number, and that's you know the way they should be doing it right now. Sure. Yeah. Cool. 
So, cool. all right. So that'll be that. And now uh, we're going to talk a little uh, wrestling right now. It's something we haven't talked about much in a little while, but uh, there are some really major stories that have come out in the last couple of weeks in the world of professional wrestling. So we got Phil on here. So we're going to dig a little deep into some of these things. So the biggest story, the two big stories coming out revolved around AEW and Ring of Honor. So AEW is clearly the biggest story. So let's start there. Uh, AEW has signed a early four-year contract extension with TNT, uh, which guarantees them $127 million through the end of 2023. And there is an option, which is AEW's option, for 2024 at a significant increase, whatever that means. So they're going to be getting $45 million a year to air AEW Dynamite on TNT for the foreseeable future. And uh, this is huge news because that means that AEW will now be profitable this year, which is probably Mm -hmm. a couple of years ahead of schedule. Uh, It also means that they're not going anywhere for a while. So they have plenty of time now to sink in, to start maybe paying for some more talent, to start working on long-term creative storytelling because they're not going anywhere. It doesn't really matter. And, and don't forget and don't forget that they also have the option of a second show. Well, it's not even an option. It's going to they're adding gonna, another gonna, hour. Okay. They, they just going to add yeah. Yeah, they just don't know where it's going to be yet. So the thought process is that it, it's going to be on TNT, but TNT because of the NBA and because of uh, other things going on, they may not actually they may not have another time slot. They may not have an hour in prime time for it. So they're thinking maybe it'll be on TBS. Maybe it'll be on True TV. But it's going to be another hour. It's going to be taped. It's going to be taped before or after Dynamite. So it's not going to be live. And it looks like Taz is going to be one of the announcers because they signed Taz, uh, right. who got a who did a couple of um, gigs for them on AEW Dark, and he sat in on Dynamite for an episode. He's going to most likely be at least one of the announcers for that show. So that's an AEW dark isn't going away because they want to still have a streaming show. So what those shows become, we don't know, you know, are they going to be more like recap, give, give guys a chance to cut some promos, show some video packages, help, you know, flesh out some of their storylines a little bit. Cause the two hours of dynamite just isn't enough for them to do all of that. Maybe that'll be the case. Is it, I'm sure there will be matches, of course, on, on all of these shows. But this is interesting uh, because, you know, we've focused so much on the whole Wednesday Night War aspect, right, with NXT versus AEW. And Correct. that really was never the story here. So for anybody who wants to know why TNT did this ahead of time, because they could have just let this show go on for another year or so and just seen how the ratings fall. Here's why. With all everyone so concerned about NXT versus AEW and that ratings competition, uh, this has always been about what TNT, what AEW means to TNT. AEW was an investment that TNT made. They were funding the production of Dynamite. They were paying five hundred thousand dollars an episode for the production of Dynamite, and then splitting mm-hmm. the ad revenue with AEW. It was an investment that they made. So on Wednesday nights in prime time. Prior to AEW Dynamite, TNT was averaging about 525,000 viewers from 8 to, to 10. AEW Dynamite is averaging over 900,000 viewers. That's over an 80% increase. 
That is why TNT did this. And AEW is also the youngest skewing of all of the wrestling television shows in relative terms, as far as relative numbers and ratings. Mm-hmm. That young audience, that 18 to 49 audience, is, is one that wrestling companies, especially WWE, are having a hard time appealing to. And AEW is bringing that number. They, you know, they're finishing fifth, fourth, sixth yeah. in that 18 to 49 demo every week. That is why TNT did this. They're actually getting a bargain because they're only paying another additional $19 million a year, right? If you Because they're no longer going to be paying for the production of Dynamite. That now shifts to AEW. So for TNT, they're putting out of their pocket an additional $19 million a year to get a show that has increased their Wednesday night ratings by 80% and and done significantly well in the core, the key demo. That is a bargain when you consider the fact that WWE is getting $30 million a year for NXT from USA, and USA was averaging 925,000 viewers on Wednesday nights from 8 to 10 before NXT. NXT is now averaging under 800,000 viewers an episode. So they're paying $30 million for a show that's dropped their ratings by about 20%. And they're doing; they're not doing well at all in the key demos. Their NXT is usually not even in the top twenty-five in eighteen to forty-nine. Mm-hmm. Meanwhile, TNT's paying forty-five million dollars a year for a show that's increased their Wednesday ratings eighty percent. So that's a bargain, and that's why TNT jumped to do this. And um, yeah, I mean, this is a win-win for AEW. Here's the question, though, and Phil, and I'll, I'll give this, pose this to you because you know you worked there over at WWE, yeah. so you know how this whole thing works. You know that Vince put NXT up against, uh, put it on USA Network live for two hours because he wanted to try to cut that AEW number as much as he could to try to get them to go away sooner than later. Correct. Well, obviously, that's a loss because they're not going anywhere now for at least four years, if not more. So where does that leave them now that, you know, the network number is down 10%. It's for the first time it was down 10% year over year by the end of 2019. We already know that their live attendance numbers are down. They had, they lost money on live house show attendance for the first time since the dark days in the early nineties. Merchandise sales down, television ratings yeah. down, all of their metrics down. are down now, including the network. The only thing they're up in is guaranteed money, which is funding this company because of all that mm-hmm. money Fox overpaid and all the money USA overpaid and all that Saudi Arabia money. That's funding this company, keeping them incredibly profitable, and they're not going anywhere anytime soon either. So technically, both companies are now idiot proof, basically, for at least for the next four or five years. Um, but like, what do you think this means now for WWE knowing that in theory, they've, they've kind of lost this battle. Well, I think they're going to take a step. They're going to have to take a step back and say, what are we doing that they're doing? And it, 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 but there's a lot of things that are involved. One, um, it's, it's a new crop of, it's a new crop of, it's a new crop of superstars, wrestlers, that are showing up, they're showing up and showing their faces. And it's, it, there's intriguing storylines that are happening that it's not the same. It's not the same recycled nonsense that you get on the WWE programming where something like the Rusev and and Lana and Bobby Lashley angle has been playing itself out for, for 
three months now and the audience is just not into it but it keeps it keeps going through now i also think i also think that you also have the factor of it looks like a low budget show at times um the the arena it, it's loud but it seems it seems amateur hour and i know we talked about this and i know aaron you mentioned that you know your brother who doesn't watch wrestling sees right. AEW and he's like wow but then you look at an at NXT and you're like oh that crowd is kind of small right these guys are not that these guys are not that big now don't get me wrong i think both shows and we've talked about this um offline um you know offline chris and tavo and and nathan and 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 aaron um they NXT and AEW has got some great talent They're putting on some great, great matches. Um, But I think think there's the wow factor that AEW is bringing out to Wednesday night. Now, in terms of the big shows like Raw and SmackDown, I think it's the same thing week in, week out, uh, same faces. The feuds are not there or there's a lot of inconsistency that is occurring. And, Chris, we talked about it, the long-term booking. Like, Getting people invested in long term, rather than just changing, changing, changing in the middle in the middle of a program, which just turns people off, and I think that's hurting the 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 appeal of the of the product. And uh, you know that eighteen to forty nine demo, it's 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 desirable. It's what the advertisers want to see because that's who they're selling their products to. Right. And if that's not if that's not hitting, then you know those advertisers are going to be like, well, you know, what are you offering me? Um, you know, for a young brand where you, they're going to start getting, they're going to start getting AARP advertisers and, uh, and flow you know? Yeah. I mean, isn't it, isn't it just business though, where WWE has, you know, potentially diluted itself because it has multiple time slots, um, throughout the throughout the week, and then you've got something like AEW, which is only you know funneling its audience through one, right? So, is it is it more that than, I, than I, anything I, else? I think I think it's 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 a it it is it's a little bit of dilution because you're talking you're talking three uh, almost seven hours of WWE programming. Um, I'm not, I didn't even count backstage, which is not a, it's not a, it's a talk show. So you're talking almost eight hours of WWE programming on broadcast and you see the same faces. You sort of get lost in that where it's, it becomes, it becomes a problem. I, I I'm going to use the comic books as an example because you have so many titles and for somebody who's just jumping in, there's like, where do I start? What book do I start with? Where AEW, you can you can jump in. You know it's that one show. You know who they're going to feature. You don't have to jump around week in and week out and and try to find the pro and try to find like where am I in the storyline? Where you know storyline is going to continue from one week to the next week and it's that same slot. So I just hope AEW doesn't become um, a victim of its own success where they start to dilute their brand down the road. Yeah. Well, unfortunately, you know, TV has a lot to say for that. So AEW didn't want to add another hour. It was TNT that wanted the extra or 
Warner Media that wanted the extra hour because they're paying a lot of money now, so they want content. Mm-hmm. And what are you going to mm-hmm. say, no? But you, you know, no, of course not. Yeah, but what I'm talking about is more big picture stuff, like I, not even so much AEW versus NXT or even um, AEW versus WWE. Because look, NXT is great; it's got great wrestling. Still, there have been weeks where I've enjoyed NXT more than AEW. AEW certainly has its issues as well. But, you know, both shows for the most part have been entertaining week in and week out. But I'm talking about like the fact that Vince McMahon didn't need to do this, right? He didn't need to counter program AEW. Mm-hmm. AEW purposely chose Wednesday nights because it was the one night where there wasn't any like television competition, right? They weren't looking for this battle. Like they didn't they didn't do Monday night dynamite or or at the time Tuesday night, right? Cause originally they wanted Tuesday nights, but SmackDown was on Tuesday nights at the time. So they actually avoided that purposely. They didn't want this. Vince wanted this and he hurt his network to do it because NXT was one of the draws on a regular basis of WWE network. It was exclusive there. It was one of the reasons why a lot of people held on to their subscriptions, even if the pay-per-views weren't that great or whatever. That's not a thing anymore. So now he, yes, so he's getting $30 million a year for it. That's fine. But he made it two hours. He made it live. Um, Eventually, I think he's probably going to take it on the road, which is going to increase production costs for it. All to try to counter-program this show. And and it it failed because they're they're now, they have a locked-in contract now for four years with an option. So they're not going anywhere. So was it worth it? Considering he cannibalized his pay-per-view business to start the network. And the fact that they thought by this time the WWE Network would have 3 million to 4 million subscribers. And now here they are, still have never even hit 2 million subscribers. And they've dropped 10% year over year for the first time since the network came out. Now you've cannibalized your pay-per-view industry. And now your network numbers are steady to to slightly declining like was it worth it was it worth doing that just to try to counter program this company that when it was never about them versus AEW it was always going to be about what AEW means to TNT and I I just I don't know I don't think it was worth it I don't uh, you know what when when he talks to a shareholder, I'm sure he's going to say, say to a shareholder, "But look at all this money that we have." Well, of you course, know, we sure. have the deal. yeah. Now, I, you know, and but you're right, because once those deals expire, where are they going to be once once those deals have are, are coming gone? Because, like you said, the fan base is eroding. Um, you know, I saw some of that when I was there, and I, I think I've been on the analytics. I said, you know, our fan base is we're growing our fan base is growing out of the demo that's desirable. And I think I was met with a oh well they don't just they won't just grow out of it in one year. I said, No, I'm not saying that they're growing out of it now, but I said if we're not growing the fan base, if the fan base that we're desiring is not is not widening uh, it's it's we're gonna have a problem because this is this is our sweet spot yeah. where I'm seeing and you mentioned this before I saw the older audience growing so I was like one the older audience is watching or people are are aging out and then but but people are not are not the people that is desirable are not aging into the right demo and it's gonna become a problem it's gonna become a problem I think 
where they're going to be at a point where business is going to level off. I mean, right now they're riding high from all the TV deals and the overseas deals. Yep. But then once that levels off, it's going to ha- they're going to have to take a step back from diluting the brand like Aaron said. It it's it, the brand is diluted. Uh and they're going to have to come up with some some kind of really hard creative decisions. Um do they do they start showcasing a lot more of uh of what they showed in the attitude era, a lot of the hardcore stuff. Is that even going to bring anybody back? It's, it's, well, it would bring back older fans though, right? That's part of the problem. It'll bring back older fans who are now, who are now my age in late thirties, forties, you know, when they they finally decide to like bring back that where we're going to be in our fifties. So they're not going to still, they're still going to have that issue of driving that younger audience. And, the other the other issue that is, is the other issue that's playing into this is that audience a lot of the audience is moving off of off of traditional network. I know AEW's got it's got a sweet spot, but a lot of audience is moving off of traditional, and the network was supposed to be to combat that. And like you said, every year they're hoping for that two million. They get to the two million around WrestleMania now. Whether any of that, well, whether how much of that is actually paid, it's another thing because you know they right. offered they offered the free month. Yep. So that's that's always been the telling, which is crazy when you think about yeah. it, because they could be charging seventy five bucks for WrestleMania on pay per view, and there mm-hmm. there are studies now that have actually come out where people who look into these analytics who say that WWE is actually at a point now, finally, and it's taken all this time where they would have been generating more revenue had they stayed on pay-per-view than by starting the network. It wasn't yeah, always uh, the case, but now that no, the network I, number has leveled off and is actually starting to drop, mm-hmm. and the, the amount of free subscribers that they have to keep, you know, free subscriptions they have to keep giving away, especially for Royal Rumble and WrestleMania events that could be generating. Like, had they followed the model that UFC is using where they have fight pass and fight pass costs X amount of dollars a month, but they still have pay-per-view. Yep. That probably would have been the best for their bigger shows. I'm not saying every, mm-hmm. but like WrestleMania, Royal Rumble, SummerSlam, those should have still been pay-per-views and you could have done what UFC does where you build in a thing where it's like, Hey, like for this last fight, the Conor McGregor, Donald Cerrone fight, which is going to do huge numbers. They, you know, they have a deal like for their pay-per-view where it's like, hey, for 90 bucks, you can get this pay-per-view and a whole year of ESPN Plus. Like they could I mean, have done that. Yeah, I mean, I mean, I know there's talk and I think we've seen an article where they've they've they're talking about introducing a tier service. That was something we were talking about in the inception of the network. So it's it it seems it seems that that might be an option where the pay per views the big four pay per views are going to have to become special again and not just uh, a, a, an extended TV show they're going to have to be special again and you're going to have all these monthly pay per views that are just going to be part of a, a tier service and I think that's the future for for the network in terms of the program I mean. Creative has got to go in a whole different direction, and they've got a a wealth of talent, and I think they need to dig deep and showcase a lot more of that. And 
to try to drive that that younger audience to come to come through. Yeah, they need the younger audience for two reasons. One, not only because it's more advertiser friendly, but also because you just don't want your entire audience to age out after a while. But well, and and they need the younger audience. And this is what I've always said: they need the younger audience because the younger audience is gonna go is is the one that is goading mom and dad to buy merchandise. Sure. And, and you know what, and mom and mom is the, the moms is, is the buyer. Right. They, so, you know, they're the ones that are like, okay, little Jimmy wants, wants a t-shirt. He wants an action figure. They're the ones that go out and buy it. So if, if I'm an older, if I'm an older, I'm not going to go buy, I'm not going to buy action figures. I'm not going to probably buy merchandise. Hence why merchandise is down. And you know what? And the live experience, like a perfect example, my dad, who, when we went to WrestleMania this year and, and then we finally, and you know, he enjoyed himself, but then we went to Madison and he's like, I enjoyed Madison so much more than I did at WrestleMania at, you know, he said, well, we went to see Stone Cold. So the experience has got to be, there's got to be a different experience, but he's also now of a mindset where he's like, you know what? I don't even want to go to a live event. And he's like, I'd rather just sit at home and watch it. Yeah. And I think that's why attendance is, is probably sure. hurting because yeah. it, it's, there's no, there's no real incentive. No. And I, and you know, to do it, I mean, they try to throw out uh, what, what happened with Ray Mysterio and um, um, what's it? I forget the gentleman's name. Um, Andrade. Andrade, yeah. where he won the title. Yes. Won the title at a house show, yep. and I think that's probably what they're gonna have to do a yeah. little bit more of to drive up house shows because it does it's not special, right? And to be fair, it, the trouble selling tickets is not exclusive to WWE or pro wrestling in general. It's just it's a hard industry right now, like you said, because it's so easy to just get access to stuff at home. But before we wrap up, I do want to touch on the other big story, which is technically in a in a weird way connected right and this is why competition in wrestling is important and this is why wrestling fans really shouldn't be rooting against any company um and you know i take my shots at main roster wwe just because i just don't think it's good product right now but i don't root for them to fail ultimately this story here is the reason why so marty Skrull, who was a free agent as of the end of november uh, and everyone assumed was going to be going to AEW to join his yeah. buddies in the elite. Resigns with Ring of Honor, the most lucrative contract in Ring of Honor history. That he's going to be getting paid WWE main roster money to work about forty. Where did they get? Where did they get the money? Well, don't That's forget Sinclair Broadcasting owns them. They're worth like like billions of dollars. Okay. Yeah, and they don't always open their checkbook, but they did here. So they're paying him WWE main roster money to work 40 dates. He's also now the lead. He's technically not the head booker, but he's on the booking team, but he is guiding the entire creative direction of that company now. He's already started to implement his ideas. He's got them back in a working relationship with the NWA. But not only does he get his money to work those 40 dates, he can work almost anywhere he wants except WWE. So he's working yeah. NWA. He can yeah, work and, New yeah, Japan. I was going to say, he showed up on power. Yeah, he can work. Yeah, and, and he's going to be... There's even now a working agreement again between Ring of Honor and the NWA. There's going to be Ring of Honor wrestlers on the NWA pay-per-view this weekend. Um, and he can technically work AEW if he wants, although I don't 
really know that that'll happen, but he's going to push for a working agreement with them, and he's going to be working with New Japan, and that working relationship, which was dormant for a while, is back up and running, probably thanks to him, because if you look at their card for Supercard of Honor WrestleMania weekend, it is loaded with New Japan talent, but... But think about that. So now, you know, Matt Taven re-signed with Ring of Honor earlier, um, towards the end of last year, rather, for also big money. He's making about three times what the guys at NXT are making that aren't Finn Balor. Like, the guys that aren't main roster guys that are working NXT, he's Mm -hmm. making about three times more than those guys. So guys like Adam Cole and, and, you know, the the regular Johnny Gargano, people like that, uh, to, to... because they wanted to keep him, and they just re-signed Bandito too, gave him the best offer that AEW was after him, WWE was after him, so they're opening their... And this is all because of the current landscape. The competition that has been created now with AEW becoming legit has now pushed, and this is why it's great. It's good for the workers, it's good for the fans, there are more places for these guys to work and make a, a real good living... And it's just going to lead to better wrestling for the fans. We are in a golden age right now as far as quality of pro wrestling. You have New Japan, Ring of Honor, AEW, all WWE, obviously, all paying guys enough money for them to make good livings. Plus, you have other companies like MLW and stuff that have TV and are paying guys exclusive contracts, not you know living wages, but enough to to get by and to also work indies and stuff. So that's why all of this is important. Oh, without a doubt, and I mean, it's we've talked about it. We've talked about offline that it's it's an it's it's a, it's an amazing time to be a wrestling fan again, because you have you have options now. Before, if you, the only option was was an indie, and that was if you found it on YouTube, uh, never on never you couldn't find anything else on a on a network, and now you have that option. Yep. I mean, you have N- NWA Power, which is. I think it's a great it's studio great. show. Yeah, it's great. Um, so you've got so much, and and what I and that's that's the problem with WWE is going to have like they have the competition. There's competition now. Like n- these guys that normally would have just like the the Bucks, Omega, Scro- uh, Marty Scro- they would just they would have run after their contract on the Indies would have run up would would uh, uh, run up. They would have just ran to WWE. After their contracts ran out, but now they don't need to do that anymore, nope. and that's where WWE needs to take a hard look sure. at themselves and it's like, okay, what do we need to do? Yeah, well, and WWE desperately wanted Kenny Omega. They were hot for Marty Skrull, um, you know, and they're you know a lot of guys do wind up going there because they grew, a hard, entire generation grew up only knowing WWE, right? Of course, but mm-hmm. still, um, it's just uh, it's a fascinating story and it's it's pretty exciting, but. Um, we got to end all of this fun for this episode. Um, Phil, is there anything you'd like to plug? Um, I, I, nothing right now. Uh, you know, just, you know, listen to the Fanboy Garage because, you know, these guys talk about a great deal of stuff from TV to movies and, and of course, wrestling. So um, it's always fun to be on here and talk and talk shop with you guys. Sweet. I like a guest who plugs us. Hell yeah. In their plugs. That's awesome. Excellent. All right. Well, thanks, uh, Phil, as always, for uh, 
for joining us here on the show. And of course, you can go to thefanboygarage.com, check out our uh, episodes. You can check our merch store, buy yourself an I'm Cool I Podcast t shirt. Uh, He's got one. Yeah, he sure does. And uh, of course, you could also join the conversation with us on the social medias Twitter, Instagram, Facebook at the Fanboy Garage. You can check out our still developing YouTube page as well. Uh, the Fanboy Garage. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Aaron loves that YouTube oh, page. Oh, my God. Yeah. File conversions blow. Yeah. And uh, of course, you could find me on Twitter at RealCLMighty. And you can, uh, Aaron, where can everybody uh, send you their YouTube ideas? Uh, yeah, you can find me on Twitter at a a Ron speaks. That is a underscore a underscore Ron speaks. And, um, please don't blast (laughs) our, uh, comments or reviews, uh, with negative commentary or, or poor stars because, uh, I can't get my shit together. <laughs> so leave us a five star review if you do like what you're listening to, and um, we'll be back next week. Thanks so much for listening. All right. Good night, guys.